This is a download from BFM 89.9, the business station. The Property Show on BFM 89.9, the business station. Good morning. You're tuned in to The Property Show, our weekly take on all things property related, and I'm Philip C. It's the last Friday of the month, and as usual, our guest today is Chris Tan for The Property Legal Clinic. So Chris, early on we had a conversation now about the two main disputes that you know tend to disrupt property transactions. The first one, re- relation to inherited property, and the second one in relation to uh, titles of the property. Can I get your third dispute, which comes across quite often, right? This issue of disputes between tenants and landlords. Uh, how do these disputes between tenant and landlord potentially impact uh, you know, the transfer of property titles taking place? If you're just speaking from the context of transfer of property title, right, dispute within landlord and uh, tenant, right, it's yeah. basically very simple. When you say there's transfer of title, it simply means the landlord is selling. Yeah, correct. Correct. So when the landlord is selling, for example, right, then it will be new landlord, lah. Yes. Right. So the new landlord want to carry on the existing dispute or not? Or are you buying on the basis that the previous owner settled the problem with the tenant? That when you do the proper agreement in relation to the transfer of title, first yeah. thing about it, right? You should address it. You understand? Or? If you, proper due diligence must be did, made in relation to that, find out what's the issue. Correct. Mm. So if I'm the transaction lawyer doing a buying and selling of this type of property, right? If there's a tenant there, there's an issue there. We have to we have to address uh, provision make provision to say what to do with the tenant. Are you continuing the tenancy, right? Mm-hmm. Or you want the seller to settle it first and then and then only you can sell it to me. Only I'll pay. So it's a condition in the sales and purchase agreement per se. If you talk about this kind of issue in relation to a tenant dispute, right? Like if you talk about inheritance, it's different, huh? So suddenly I become the landlord because of some inheritance, correct? Mm, yes. Obviously, the tenant issue then I inherited, lah. Yeah, because I, I know what you mean. Inheritor is something it's not mutually agreed. You can assume Correct. that, right? Whereas uh, between another landlord and a prospective landlord that's alive, uh, yeah. both alive, there is a mutual agreement to transfer. And that's when all these preconditions are set. Yes, yes. And then we'll just say, because how I buy it. For example, like if I buy it with a tenancy, maybe I need to pay more price. If there's no dispute, but benefit, think about it. Right? Let's say you got good tenant for 10 years, Correct. Right. And then and then if I buy and then probably I can ask for more if I'm a seller, yes or not. Right. But if there's a, a potential dispute whereby uh the tenant is not paying, you already know, and the tenant is uh overstaying, staying there and and and, and uh, unlawfully occupied the thing, right? So I'm just saying to you is that in that's in that case, you probably want to address the issue by uh either reduce the price, take over the problem, or Finish the problem before I pay you. Can I just ask, does the tenant have any say in this? It could just be mutually agreed between the landlords, right? It could be the case where the landlord, the new landlord doesn't mind taking on the dispute. But does the tenant have any say in this? The tenant have no say in this as far as I'm concerned, right? As Because let's put it this way, it is a dispute for the usage of the property. For the usage of the property. And the property, if the ownership change hand, for example, right? They can actually say that uh, probably uh, this uh, I don't want to deal with the new owner. But if if the new owner come in with the eye open, he already know what he's getting himself into. So really, that is a big challenge, isn't it? And I mean, I guess in many of your experiences, it usually is a precondition that all these settle- disputes are settled before it's transferred over to the landlord, right? That's the case for most of the time. Or we must agree on a way to address the dispute. What are the typical ways of addressing the dispute? You are uh, essentially saying it could go to arbitration. 
Is that one way that they could no, no, force? No, going to court and arbitration for that is one way or another. Obviously, these are dispute resolution avenue. However, what I'm trying to highlight is that, for example, how do you address it between the buyer and seller? That's, 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 that's the key thing, as in like, how do you address it, right? For example, uh, you can give him more time so that he can settle it before it transfers to you. That's yep. we, that could be one thing, right? Number two, it could be also uh, ask for uh, adjustment in the consideration as in the value, right? So that the new one don't mind taking over. So what you're saying is, look, I could do, the first option is I give you more time to settle it. So I want a clean contract, yep, essentially. Yep, yep, the second yep. one is, look, I'll take on the dispute, but you have to discount the valuation as a result of that. Of course, because I, I I'm only willing to very simple to start x amount so it's x minus uh, so the potential dispute right for example the liability is uh, y right so it's x minus y long correct yeah. all right and if i can manage the dispute better than you and i pay y minus then i earn the difference uh. i guess everything does impinge on the valuation and pricing right a non-payment of rental the valuation of not fixing the property that usually is the form of dispute, be financial per se. Are there times when it is qualitative in nature and how does that affect the property transaction? Or that's just really up to between the two landlords to resolve on how you qualify and quantify these qualitative pieces? In every sales and purchase transaction, right, there's one thing that's very important. It's called due diligence. First of all, check. <laughs> yeah. You must check. You must know what you're buying, right? Once you do your due diligence, then address the result of the due diligence. Basically, that's what the sales and purchase agreement is all about. A lot of people don't understand. They keep saying that, you know, sales and purchase agreement is a standard document. I beg to defer because everyone is different. Every asset is different. And based on the result of the asset due diligence, then you come up with a solution. Yeah. It's only when the, the reason when they say standard is because most of the property are quite clean. That's why. Yeah, I mean, this is the concern, right? There has been talk about legislation to try and standardize the sale and purchase agreement, right? We could end up that spiraling loop, right? When people just get lazy and just use that as a template, isn't it? Yeah, that's what I'm saying to you. There's a reason why we need to do that. We all agree that. Uh, property investment is one of the biggest investment in your life, right? If, why would you take it life, right, uh, lightly and don't do the proper thing? Because like I said, you might end up with all these issues that you have just highlighted. So when we talk about uh, tenancy agreement breaches, uh, what typically are the red alerts here that, that you know could hinder a transaction in your experience, right? It's really simply put like... Simple I, like I tell you what, the red alert is very simple. As long as you have an ongoing tenancy... Right, it's already a land alert. You know why? Because as far as that's concerned, because in Malaysia it's very hard to deal with delinquent tenant in a way, mm. right? Because it's in a way that is very poor tenant kind of thing. So you must know whether you want to get into this thing or not. Yeah, yeah. I find that very interesting observation because many people would think that having an ongoing tenancy agreement is an asset, not a liability in terms of facilitating a transaction. Correct, correct. But there's no guarantee just because you have a tenant good, uh, you have a tenant agreement that you will remain a good tenant, right? Correct. That's so, true. and the best thing is that equally, when there's no standard uh, sales and purchase agreement, there is no standard tenancy agreement either. So, what makes you think that one tenancy is the same as another tenancy, <laughs> right? So, there could be terms and whatever inside that's impossible. So, that's it. The moment I see there's occupied kind of thing, we have a question. You know why? Because if occupied by tenant, there's an issue of the to the potential buyer. Number one, 
are you are you happy with the condition of the building because you can't even go in and check and you don't know what happened after the end of the tenancy are you willing to buy on assets where it is those are red flag already immediately okay so let's just move to the next dispute which also happens quite often perhaps uh, applies to new properties you know property disputes relating to delays during the transfer of property and i'm sure you know as a result of the pandemic there have been many delayed properties up up and coming right especially as a result of the pandemic so with issues arising during renovation and all that, what are the typical delays that do affect the transfer of properties? Okay, let's put it this way. There's actually no delay in transfer of property, right? So let's put it this way. We, we have a, let's talk about if you have a proper memorandum transfer sign and whatnot, there's no reason you can delay a transfer of property. And even the, the pandemic, whatever, it doesn't impact, right? It's more about issuance of a title, mm-hmm. right? Whether the title is issued on time. And then once it's issued on time, there's no delay, right? Then the every first instance, it should be transferred to you. I don't see any reason for delay of transfer per se, per se in relation to that and and if you are actually uh buying this property through a bank financing right right the more the bank is motivated uh, to ask you a quickly transfer and therefore you can charge it to me so so to me there's no such thing as too much delay in transfer there's a the strata title issued there is a mo- there is a there is an issue of people don't want to transfer it to their own name why because the moment you do that you need to pay a stamp duty yep. and the stamp duty is the deterrence obviously stamp duty is a deterrence obviously uh, but nonetheless this part of the system right we have to acknowledge you have to find a way to do it uh, we'll have more of your questions and answers from Chris Tan from Chair Associates after these messages stay with us BFM 89.9 Welcome back. You're tuned in to The Property Show on The Morning Run. I'm Philip C and I have Chris Tan from Cher Associates here with me for the monthly property legal clinic that takes place on the last Friday of the month. Help me understand this scenario where I buy a property that's not yet built, but I want to flip it to another prospective buyer, but that whole process is delayed. Does that affect anything? Okay, this is the thing where the, the property uh, title for strata title is normally coming in the strata title in the situation whereby it is not actually uh, uh, issued and therefore not transferred. Therefore, there's a chance whereby the transfer will go right into the second buyer. Is that yep, your question? That's right. Right, right, in the second, the second buyer. So, number one, right, if it's on the in that situation, uh, let's put it this way. First of all, the seller, is he buying with a bank loan or not? Okay, we have to address that issue. Number two, is the new uh, is the new buyer buying with cash or buying with bank loan? Again, there's an issue. Yeah, I mean, yeah, same, cash is yeah, a bit more simpler, isn't it? Bank loan is where it's complicated. Correct. No, no, because there's another party here. Ma. Yeah. Correct. And the best thing is that, you know, and 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 in a, just a, there's two situations here. La. Number one is when it's not finished construction. There's also another thing. Eh? I probably bought from a developer. It's still in the halfway in the construction stage. Correct. I paid about 60% because progressive building. Yeah. And now I will find a buyer want to sell. Yeah. Is it possible? Yeah. Right. Normally, we we'll say it's quite challenging, right? Because I need a lot of stakeholder to agree on certain thing, and for all intended purposes, it's also regulated under the Housing Development Act. For example, it's residential. For example, right. So these are the challenges on the strata title non-issued uh, situation. You can also use the deed of assignment. That's considerably easier. But then, but there are also a situation whereby you still need the consent. You know, you still give notice to the different party that might be 
challenges here and there during the process. So I'm just highlighting we have to look at it on a case-to-case basis. Yeah, because I can imagine the process can be very complicated, especially if, if you have not originally in receipt of the Strata title, right, in the beginning. For Strata title, it's relatively easy. Yeah. Uh, what I'm more concerned is also on the fact that it's halfway in construction. Yes. Which the bank is not building and you want to sell. Yeah. Uh, that 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 is where uh, uh, I would say is extremely challenging and and very likely is not encouraged anyway. What are the kind of delays? I mean, we're talking about work in progress, construction that takes place. Have you seen other delays that typically disrupt uh, property transactions? Okay, delay in uh, disrupting property transaction. Yeah. One of the very common what I said. A property transaction is not A and B only. Agreed, right? Agreed. For example, there could be somewhere in the title there's a restriction of title that say that this thing is subject to the state authority consent. Yes. How often so when is that? Subject, yeah, yeah. How, are, how frequent uh, is that? Clause uh, and provision. Especially leasehold property. Especially okay. leasehold property, for example, right? It's quite often, right? Like I said, you must do the due diligence on the land first, ma. When you do the due diligence, then you know that whether there's a restriction of title or not. Agreed? Mm-hmm. Agreed? So when you have a restriction on the title to say you're subject to this consent and that consent, then you know taking consent it could be a time extra that required to complete. So it could be challenging and this could be one scenario. Number two scenario, for example, I owe the bank 1 million. I sell the property to you at 500,000. You think this transaction is easy or not? <laughs> I presume not. Not because you have to still figure out uh, even if you buy a buyer who are willing to pay you 500,000, yeah. right? Even if after they pay, the bank will still not release the title right sure until you complete the one million financing in place correct correct correct. in in that sense so that's why i said this also another possible thing number two also why i said due diligence is very important for example in that sense uh if you if you want to buy all right then suddenly halfway for example for halfway somebody passed away Hmm. right the joint owner passed away correct and then you have to then wait for the probate law wait for this law before those things can be happened right because the money don't know pay to who uh, things like that, for example, whether there's a, a decision to do it otherwise or challenge to say that maybe that person when they sign the thing is under influence because he's old, you know, people are trying to take advantage, you know, uh, now they pass away or maybe he's sick, you know, that there's a lot of pot- potential uh, possibility in relation to that, you know, in relation to that. Like, for example, even foreigner, for example, mm-hmm. okay, if it's a foreigner who buy, also subject to state authority consent. Can okay. I build on that earlier point you said about securing state authority consent because yeah. certain clauses may require that? What is the process to overcome that? You have to basically appeal to the state authority no, no, and it, go through the process? Appeal. It's not appeal. You just comply. Lah. Comply for the state authority consent. It's not something to deter you to do. Yeah. It's just that you have to comply with one more process. Like, for example, it's exactly what I said. It's not that foreigner cannot buy property in Malaysia, right? But they have to buy above certain threshold and subject to the state authority consent. Okay, so, so it's basically an application you make to the state authority and then they correct. process it. What is the usual SLA? How long does it take? Or is it just varying depending on the it state authority? It varies on different state, number one, right? Number two is also, uh, as far as concerned, different state have different way of dealing with it, right? For example, and different state have different policy. You cannot say that, oh, I apply, you must give it to me. The fact that it says subject to state authority consent, it means it's their discretion. I've heard some examples where it's a bit of a lottery. You have to try one time. It always gets rejected the one first time, but you can try appeal second, third, fourth time. It then gets uh, approved. Is there any basis of that of that rumor? Or- no, 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 no. It's, it's pure rumor. I, my, my practice show me is that normally you get it approved. Unless 
that's an extraordinary kind of case, right? So I'm just saying to you, normally it's a, it's a process. It's time. Normally it's a process and time and cost, right? Mm. Normally that's what I'll say, right? I will not say that you get rejected. See, when you say those get rejected first time and then second time, when most likely those kind of things are not because of pure state authority consent. Those likely are like, you know, bumi kota, that right. kind of that kind of thing. So, but it's not a different. It's a different thing to to those uh, property with a express condition to say transfer and charge is subject to state authority consent. You know, we talked to. I mean, I think a lot of our conversation covers residential. You know, between that. But what happens when it's a uh, in commercial business where it involves typically joint ventures between business partners, where the property is the the tenant is the company, but the property is actually two shareholders of the of the company. Is that does that complicate matters usually? Let's put it this way. Like I said, you know, uh, again, uh, we are we are we are advising or we were talking from the perspective of potential buyer. Right in that sense, and not the tenant issue here. Okay, I'm just saying that you know uh, whatever tenant dispute. Then again, if we found out about it from the due diligence, we address between two of the seller and buyer. Mm. It's always that case. And if it's a company, then we have to deal with it whether it got property resolution things like that. Those are the further due diligence that you might want to check. I mean, I, I presume the more complicated the number of people in the property, the more difficult the transaction takes place, right? Especially when you're talking about joint venture between groups of people and individuals. That usually complicates the transaction processes, does it not? Let's put it this way. There's one more party means you're extra person to sign, for example, in relation mm. to that, right? Mm. So so if there's more party to it, so obviously uh, the transaction will naturally get longer. Yes or not? And and that also include about intervening party, like for example, if the title uh, provide for certain thing like subject to state authority consent, for example, in that sense, uh, again, those will be means one more party, right? One more party needs yep. to give blessing. Yeah. And the scenario of let's say renovation, renovation sometimes can be very subjective, yep. where a transaction is contingent on a certain amount of renovation is done, but later on. The transaction takes place, but then the renovation later is found not to be of a certain standard and quality. What happens then? You know, is that then does that mean that the new landlord has to go to back to the original landlord and and file a suit to basically claim back? Again, these are things that need to be addressed in the sales and purchase transaction agreement, yeah. right? That's where a good lawyer will help you to look at it. It's not about standard. There's no standard answer here, right? Simply because we have to say, okay, you want me to do the renovation for you as part of the consideration, you do, I'll fix it up. So the question is that, would there be a site inspection? Is there a warranty after that, right? Or is it, you come, you're okay, as this ways, I'm selling you. Mm-hmm. You understand, not? Yeah, right? Yeah. Like I said, you know, these are the things. And, and whether... Whether it could also be a scenario, uh, because you want to give me warranty, you you promise me as a seller, right? I fix this renovation, everything will be perfect for one year, correct? Yes. So then I say, okay, good. Uh, put the money where your mouth is, right? Ten percent of your purchase price not pay you first, uh. I can keep it for one year, right? Until this whole thing got no issue. If got issue, I take the ten percent and pay for the fixing. So these are actually what to do with both party between the buyers, both the buyers, uh, buyer and seller in relation to how to address this kind of potential issue. Because like, for example, I want to buy this house subject to you fixing the gate, correct? So I will give you time to fix the gate. And what happened after the gate, for example? And when do I pay you, for example? And what happened to the gate subsequently, correct? If uh, is there any liability and clawback to you? Or your life responsibility would be, the, the seller would be saying, okay, as long as I fix the gate to you, right? You will accept. That's it. So, so these are dealt with in details 
uh, in the sales and purchase agreement that we need to highlight very clearly. That's why I said an experienced lawyer is important, a proper due diligence is important, important and recognizing that the agreement shouldn't be standard is also important. I think this is, I think, the biggest lesson I've taken, you know, after having a conversation with you about this, that we tend to take for granted the SMP, that it's a standard template that's applied, but there's so many permutations. And really what is necessary is a detailed communication and engagement between the lawyer and the and the client and between both clients and, and both lawyers, isn't it? And that seems to be missing because everything is just through standard documentation. And then generally, the challenges and all the issues then arise, you know, down the road later when the tenancy falls apart, the renovation doesn't fall into place. We tend to assume that everything is templatized with an SMP document. That's a big challenge we have in Malaysia. Yeah, yeah. Let's put it this way. Um, uh, I always tell people, they always tell me SPA, SPA, Sales and Purchase Agreement. And I say, yeah, what do you know about it, right? There are common features, right? But the common feature could be interpreted differently. Mm-hmm. For example, a common feature in the in a sales and purchase agreement will be how much is the deposit, yes or not? Yep. How much is the transaction period? Yep. Is there a redemption required, for example? Yep. Uh, when do you pay the balance purchase price, correct? Are you happy with the condition with the property? Is it asset based or subject to some improvement? I don't know, right? Things like that. So there's... Like I said, it's, it's an it's a agreement between two parties. We can introduce even very uh, different kind of terms inside, very unique to you and me. You know? So as far as I'm concerned, I, I, I think it's important. You know, even, uh, that's why I'm also very conscious uh, when I do this show, right? I try not to very commonize this thing and say, ah, this one is like that, that one is like that, because yeah. I feel very irresponsible of myself. So I'll just say that, you know, uh, if I'm here to educate the listener, right, I want to get the right information rather than saying that, you know, you know, you know, a lot of people say that, oh, of course, uh, Chris is highlighting about accident. Accident don't happen every day. But why are you still buying insurance? Fair. Correct. So if you're buying insurance, you think about it, uh, actually engaging a lawyer in drafting a unique agreement that address your issue is an insurance. I think what you're asking for is, look, ask the questions, talk to a professional and basically make sure you go through in detail. Don't take it for granted. And also, not just that, if you are the buyer or if you're a transacting party or the seller for that matter, you must tell what is the issue with the whole thing to the uh, lawyer because the lawyer don't know about the property. He cannot assume that all the house is the same, yes. correct? So yep. if you don't disclose, how am I supposed to address it? Chris, thank you very much. That's all the time that we have for the monthly property legal clinic today. Join us again next month as we help you shed light on your legal conundrums. Send your questions to property at bfm.my or WhatsApp us at 018-789-8899, BFM 89.9. The Property Show on BFM 89.9, The Business Station. Thank you for listening to this podcast. To find more great interviews, go to bfm.my or find us on iTunes. BFM 89.9, The Business Station.